Okay, I'm reading the abstract. It's like, we show that giving workers early access to just 1% of their future social security benefits. Oh my God. Just is doing a lot of work there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like her, um, her opinion piece that was in Bloomberg, um, which was about why Trump's Eagle plan to use social security as an alternative to mu- is a much needed fiscal stimulus. Wait, they oh, actually... no, wait. she said it's a mistake. What? Wait, hold on. Let She's me like, read this closer to my better. face. She wrote an op-ed called Tapping Social Security Would Be a Big Mistake that came out today in Bloomberg, but she also released a paper about doing the same thing. Are I'm you sure s- it's the same person? Yeah, Natasha Saren. She's like, but you gotta do it my way. Yeah, <laughs> that's gotta be it. Welcome to the Death Panel, the official podcast of the CPC. <laughs> the most effective <laughs> branch of government. Um, so she's arguing, yeah, her way is the better way to do it. Yeah, I mean, so, yeah. big Biden energy, nothing will fundamentally change, folks. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's, God. It's as, if, it's as if there is actually no daylight in between the two of them, and yet their people seemingly still... S- See some kind of difference. I guess the term is distinction without a difference, right? So, kind of like in a scenes from scenes from last week's episode. Earlier in the week, we talked about a fantastic plan to allow people to buy into their social security early that they'd have to pay back later by someone from AEI. And now, um, Biden's advisors have also co-authored a paper with the same idea. <laughs> yeah, cool. I, I'm, I'm reading the tweet right now, which is. We show that allowing workers to access a tiny percent of their future social security benefits today can provide the liquidity they need to weather this storm. God. Same idea. Oh boy. Yeah. It's funny because this came out, this Biden paper came out so close to our episode that I've gotten comments from people that were confused. They were like, wait, I thought it was just a Republican effort. I'm like, there's three yeah. of them actually it's actually that there are three <laughs> papers like, but we only knew of two at the time of recording my the, bad the paper was released a full week prior but the literally between us recording that episode and about at the time i started editing it that uh that became like people caught wind of right. it basically and it started getting posted Which around a lot and saying, so yeah. was, by the time i was posting the episode yeah everyone thought that we were talking so, about the biden plan yeah God damn. Um, so basically basically double fuck you to biden for like just ruining our episode timing yeah <laughs> to be also, fair i mean i don't think it would have changed the conversation much but we would have no. just like yelled a little bit more extra about also democrats and not well, being we surprised. already did that actually yeah <laughs> we did yeah we, we said that you know this is basically the biden plan um and you know to be fair i guess to we big, did big make jokes quotes, too about fair. biden doing it right but to be fair it's not technically uh, a Biden plan. It's it is advisor. a plan co-authored by one of his advisors, uh, Natasha Saren, who is also like not merely just any old advisor, but is a uh, 
protege of one Larry Summers and is the co-author of a number of papers with Larry. Guys, I know you enjoyed your time at Penn, but I think we have to like end Penn because so many of these (laughs) evil people either come out of Penn or work there. And I'm really sorry, Artie, because I know you're enjoying teaching there, but Penn is canceled now. (laughs) The relationship that uh, Phil and I have had to Penn, I think, was always in spite of some of its other dubious qualities and the characters that especially inhabit the Wharton School of Business. Guess where she teaches? (laughs) The Wharton School of Business. That's the Warren School business. That's like literally what's happening. I mean, I mean, like they're making policy as we're going to talk about, like they're making policy under a broadly similar set of like configurations and parameters that like there are certain things that we cannot must not do. We must not uh, create automatic stabilizers. We simply must not do that. There's just something there that we just, we can't go beyond that uh, realm. Like we can't really turn on the juice uh, in the federal government. We can like keep the lights on for a while, but like, we're going to have to come back and reevaluate this. Um, And like the idea is like, yeah, you know what? People don't even understand their social security. Mm -hmm. Most uh, young people think that they're not going to get it and that they are, that the world is going to end. And uh, it's a very, it's incredibly cynical. It's just, God. Mm. Yeah. Here's a here's a tweet from Natasha. For context, I co-authored an academic paper um, quantifying the increase in liquidity from providing households one percent of future Social Security benefits today. Our point was, if people do borrow, they should be able to do so at zero percent interest, without enriching banks. So okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so her point is uh yeah again do it my way Um, yeah she said um another thanks natasha uh, the conceptual point in our recent paper that optimal savings rate optimal savings rates vary over time is second order relative to the human point that we do not provide enough for the most vulnerable among us it's quite convenient that this blew up and 24 hours a mere 24 hours later you've got this op-ed saying they're taking and twisting my words and we're going to protect social security and you know the way we do that is we allow people to do this but with zero percent interest perhaps stop taking my work product and and putting a republican tint on it perhaps the only (laughs) effective damage control i've ever seen out of the biden camp Um, (laughs) yeah i mean like well fine you don't want to put interest rates on there but like it's still me not getting a portion of social security benefit to which I am entitled to, which I am paying into and also letting government off the hook from like creating fiscal stimulus, which is even Jerome Powell, the head of the federal reserves, (laughs) like we are not doing enough on this front. So they're basically saying, uh, all we, the the best way of doing this is like taking from, uh, a fund that we are already creating. This is simply like they, do they not understand the basics of like what fiscal policy is supposed to be, but (laughs) (laughs) call me crazy for whom I think is the question, I suppose. Um, I think, yeah, but again, if, if you want to hear us talk at more length about, um, that, uh, ghoulish proposal, it was, um, quite fun to talk about. And that episode is our most Mm -hmm. recent patron episode. Um, it's nice to see that Bloomberg's doing his part to launder their takes on, Mm. on austerity to try and spin it. Aging empire is what it was called. Thank goodness. Aging of empires (laughs) too. Um, is that a, oh, that's the video game. So yeah, it's a, it's a real time strategy game where uh you, you get to dole out healthcare and out social security <laughs> features um it's command and conquer well it's like frogger it's but it takes game. place in a nursing home right basically. Yeah. <laughs> God. 
<laughs> okay. Shall we? I think, yeah, we can't talk about that anymore. I will lose my mind. Let's go ahead and get right into something way better to talk about. The um, <laughs> whopping 1800 page stinker Heroes Act that dropped yesterday. Mm. Um, or was it a week ago? I don't know. I don't know what time is anymore because I feel like the past 24 hours has gone very slowly <laughs> um, <laughs> for me at least. Uh, so this is the Health Economic Recovery Omnibus Emergency Solutions Act, a.k.a. the HEROES Act. Mm. Um, <sighs> I just, so, I was just going to say, if they had spent just a little bit less time naming it and a little, also a little bit less time putting bullshit in it, I, I might be happier with it. I was going to say, like, maybe they could have spent more time working on it but then i was like no then they would have made it way more ghoulish so obviously <laughs> i mean i was gonna ask phil um in all seriousness if there is a point in your education phil where you uh got to take the class on how to um craft a proper acronym, a proper acronym <laughs> because you know what's um, really great is that like at some there was a point historically when we did not do that and then at some point we started doing that and i think the that moment where, and I'm so like, we've always had like, there've been acronyms for laws for a long time. Um, you know, FIRA and, uh, the NLRB, there's always been like an alphabet soup, Cobra, but there was a moment mm -hmm. where they became cutesy. And that moment right. correlates particularly with a, with the most odious strand of policy thinking my, my sense <laughs> of like what the first cutesy, the first cutesy one that emerged was, um, Cobra, uh, or mm. Obra, mm. the, um, the budget reconciliation acts of the uh, early uh, 1980s. Mm -hmm. Those were, I think the, the first like cutesy ones. And now they've just gotten more and more cutesy. Um, the, yeah, like cares heroes. Uh, it's sort of, I feel like there's a one-to-one -one matching between the sort of substantive significance of what you're doing and the cutesiness of the name. Um, yeah. The inverse. I think one to one, I guess especially when it <laughs> becomes, yeah, especially the more, uh, both cutesy, but also trying to be didactic. It is obviously cares and heroes are like extremely cringeworthy uh, examples, but also one can't forget the Patriot Act. Um, I know, I was going to say. Yeah. Uniting and strengthening America by P, providing A, appropriate tools required to intercept <gasps> and obstruct terrorism. Um, yeah. Wait, yeah. wait, wait, wait. I genuinely did not know that the Patriot Act was, was an, acronym? an acronym. I just <laughs> figured it was like tyrannical fucking demagoguing. I genuinely yeah. thought that it was just called the Patriot Act. Fuck. I mean, TBH like cares and heroes um, completely vibe to me with like a John Boehner run Bush era vibe. You know what I mean? Like it's very 2012 2010 like it just feels like kind of nostalgic so maybe what they're doing is like in absence of providing people with the most basic modicum of social support and a safety net they just want to make sure that you're reassured yeah so I, mean, I was thinking about what's even more insulting here is that like they like a few days before it uh went out the text of it went out uh that schumer and pelosi had called it rooseveltian which yeah. I kind of feel like there's the, if you're saying you're making an album and you're like, this is a very Ramones style album. It's like, you're, <laughs> this is it, 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 at the very least you would hope that there would be certain like sonic features of the record. This is not at all. I don't know what those features would be for Rooseveltian. This is not 
those. Um, there's nothing Rooseveltian. <laughs> Maybe about it's this. like Rooseveltian, but they're referring to Teddy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that'll do it. Yeah, not Franklin. Well, I was gonna say because yeah, uh, the first thing that FDR did as soon as uh, he assumed office was bail out the bail out the debt collection agencies. Right. Um, I mean, what we need is I'm imagining him with like the cigarette and the cigarette holder in his teeth. Like, we must have bailouts of the economic royalists because they're actually good, in fact. <laughs> this was his uh, third Bill of Rights, I believe. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, yeah, but I mean, in all seriousness, though, uh, this has really been bumming, particularly me and B, the fuck out for the last 24 hours because I think, honestly, for us and I think probably everyone else on uh, this podcast i would imagine feels the same way um for us i feel like this really shows the upper philosophical bounds of governance mm-hmm. uh in the current iteration of like just within the demo like especially within the democratic party um in general mm-hmm. but also it's funny to point out the the rooseveltian thing that they were saying like oh, this plan is so ambitious uh etc but it is i don't know deeply depressing that basically it's uh, th- like th- that they could s- consider this in any way an, an adequate response even as even as as we've talked about before as a like quote-unquote messaging bill that they expect <laughs> right. to get watered down further um <laughs> i mean it's absolutely unequivocally unacceptable mm-hmm. it's not merely that it's not rooseveltian it's that the fact that you are saying that it is suggests that you don't even know what you should be faking towards. Right. Um, this <laughs> or is, you it, don't even care to try and fake. Yeah, exactly. You're not even you're not even caring to try and fake because if you really think about the situation, it's nothing really like the Great Depression. Is in certain ways far worse and just categorically different. Um, and so at the very least, you would want to have some ideas about what a different set of uh, structures would be. Or like minimally, you would want to think maybe. Maybe we need very different designs for public policy that actually admit what the fundamental like underlying problems are. But I think the the this is an Obama ish policy, if anything, uh, if you want right. to come up with a with an adjective, because really the idea here is to sort of appropriate your way out of the sort of the depths of this uh, crisis. But you can't do that. So their their whole point is like. We're just going to, rather than like actually changing the structures which make our response to this crisis fundamentally unstable, like for example, employer-sponsored insurance, the idea is like we're just going to finance those structures until some fixed point in the future, (laughs) at which point we assume (laughs) everything is going to be fine and we'll be able to go back and use those structures again. And it's really, it just can't be said enough that that is a really irresponsible way of even messaging Right. It's, it's just a terrible messaging bill and it's terrible. I think it would be terrible if it were enacted. Yeah. I mean, what this message is to, to me is like, um, so, you know, let's say that they passed this, then, okay, sure. Maybe you get, uh, like whatever, like they do a second $1,200 check or something, which then gets just attributed to like Trump in the popular consciousness anyway, as like Trump bucks mm-hmm. or whatever. Right. Um, and then we like, just get sucked up to pay fucking overdue bills. Right. And then, well, and, and we'll also get sucked up for that. Yeah. Right. But I'm just, but, and that's, you know, again, if you're lucky enough to get it, cause a lot of people still, I'm sure haven't gotten there. 
mm-hmm. um, their like first round or whatever, if they will get it ever at all. But we're in this like fundamentally completely fucked situation where basically we like you could you could have right at the inception of this uh as we actually talked about on the show like i I think in probably like our first or second episode talking about uh coronavirus like after uh, a lot of us went into isolation like Mm -hmm. you could do something um, like make a phantom economy or whatever just like pass pass money around as though stuff was like still working um or you could like do even what uh like a lighter version of that which it would be maybe what like pramila jayapal is suggesting where you just like keep people on company payrolls or whatever so they're not technically going unemployed you don't have to pay both unemployment insurance and do quote unquote paycheck protection program mm-hmm. which are these like weird opposite categories or whatever they, they like are just it's supporting two structures that are that you know don't don't actually address the problem particularly in a situation of crisis right especially not for Um, something where it's like a blanket universal like i would understand one thing if you're trying to implement like both paycheck protection and the unemployment stuff if like one industry was collapsing say like uh airlines right and so you Mm want to sort of give those options it is like absolutely a waste of time and stupid in the context of a crisis of this scale, though. Yeah, it makes no sense like, to me. Right. It's like a response meant almost for it's like even it would be this response is even probably would, would be inadequate for a singular economic crash the way that like the 2008 like crash. Unfolded, right, exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like and this is something that is, you know, this weird, unprecedented rolling rolling like, you know, again, reduction of demand, cessation of activity of a lot of right. uh, sectors do again to like a massive uh, health crisis. And so, you know, instead of acting when they could have, right, they, uh, they like did the first one, they issued the like, they did paycheck protection program and like the unemployment insurance provision. And then they like issued singular $1,200 checks to some people. Um, and then it's like, and then literally went on vacation, right? For a for, month. For like almost a month. Now it's like um, almost a month after that, after they got back from that vacation and they're doing this. So I think what this signals to me is like, okay, so maybe by the end of this, like some people will have gotten maybe, I don't know, $3,600, $4,800 or something over the course of the next like six year? months One, or, or like, like or a year. And then, and like, meanwhile, all of that is going to be eaten up by like the debt collection agencies and the landlords no, well, that they're I'll bailing out. Then. And then, right. Right. But, and then like fucking basic supply chain shit is going to break down in the media. You know what I mean? It's like this the fill, fucking country is yeah. going to fall apart if they continue. And this is the message that they're sending is like, fuck it. Just like put the, put a brick on the fucking gas. <laughs> and just yeah. like let it go over the cliff. Right. I know exactly of all the times that, that either a government agency or individual or a piece of legislation or person passing me on the street has made me to feel like a completely like worthless like waste of space that you know they have zero interest in ensuring that i have like the opportunity to survive like i feel like this more than anything else is like possibly the most insulting thing that i could possibly imagine happening because it's absolutely clear to me that the plan is um to just let people die and desperately retain their power and they don't really care about anything else Mm -hmm. and they don't really care if everyone dies yeah i mean if they did if they did even a little modest amount even a symbolic amount yeah of caring about uh most people who are going to be put onto the rails in this crisis they would at least signal 
or include some language in the first draft of the legislation that they knew privately they would eventually have to take out, but they would want to signal it because they want would want people to know that they care. Like maybe, maybe right. something along the lines of the emergency uh, Medicare uh, legislation that Jai Paul's mm-hmm. introduced, which basically says, look, don't worry about your insurance. You go to the hospital, you go to the doctor, you're going to be covered regardless of what your very uncertain employment situation is. Because let's face it, the unemployment numbers that that have come out in the last week are bad enough. Their implications for right. people's health insurance are bad enough. But there are, you know, ranks and ranks of people out there who are sitting on the precipice. Right. People who work in nonprofits, people who work in schools, people who work in universities. I mean, people in all sectors of the economy. And what they're saying mm-hmm. is, you know what, COBRA some modified ACA coverage with, you know, a little bit more premiums, that will be good enough. And you'll be stuck in the churn and the administrative nightmare of those systems, which, Mm -hmm. by the way, makes it less likely that people trust government, Mm -hmm. less likely that people come out and vote, as we know from like Jamila Mishner's research, like it's it's so self-undermining in a way. Yeah. Less likely that they will even take them up in the first place, which, you know, for them, is uh, probably a net positive because then they can also say that like this was budget neutral or something like that. But for people who are unemployed, like, or who are soon to be unemployed, like it literally creates just like so, so many more hurdles that one needs to get through every day before you can even think about like, what what am I going to do to like try and support myself today? Like all of that, like administration on top of what, a lot of people describe as being like a full-time job, which is like being unemployed or dealing with the unemployment system is like fucked up and insulting and, and frankly counterproductive. Yeah. I mean, the despair is very real. And well, and also like listening to the rationalizations of some of the aspects of this legislation. So I was reading, there was one report which suggested that, you know, so Jayapal had pushed for their, a paycheck guarantee program, which would be an incredibly sophisticated way of dealing with uh, unemployment and sort of uncertainty for you know workers and and businesses uh, alike is something that really makes a lot of sense in comparison to what we're doing now, which is sort of hoping that the unemployment like coffers will be refilled and that jobs will be available in you know a few months, which they won't be. Um, mm-hmm. The the response from senior Democrats as to why they didn't put the pay- paycheck guarantee program in the new bill was that they couldn't turn it into legislative text saying that it's too costly and complicated. (laughs) And, uh, you know, to believe that, you have to believe that that's the same reason why they didn't put any number of other programs uh, in this legislation, which have already been drafted into legislation and could be easily inserted and administered. So it's, it's, yeah, it just, it, it, yeah, it, it, it strains credulity. It does. Well, and the other thing that I, I just want to say is like, they're literally the party out of power with one, like one half of the, like control of one half of the fucking legislative branch. Like just do shit. Make They bills. are acting like it. They're doing no. their job. They're doing exactly what they were appointed to their positions for. Yeah. They're I doing mean, exactly what they promised they would do. They do not care. And they are playing a waiting game waiting for everyone to die, and they will do nothing. They're not going to do shit. There will be no rent protection. There will be no intervention of any kind. There will be no 
nothing done to support frontline workers, nothing done to address the racial disparities in the way that COVID is affecting people. They are doing nothing. They will do nothing. And this is the most sadistic, plain way to signal that they never planned and never planned to do shit. Mm -hmm. They're not going to do shit. There's nothing. We're on our own. Mm-hmm. They're just literally, wait- it's like they're just literally waiting for a percentage of the popul- population to be called because they're stupid enough to think that this won't last for five, 10, 15 years. And they're stupid enough to think that their money and their power protects them. Right. I mean, and, and, and that like there won't be some backlash that, that can't be modeled, that can't be predicted, that can't be contained in the probabilities of voter turnout and the safety of their district or whatever it is, like the Cook political index, right? Um, the not doing something really significant is, I mean, it's hard to sort of like put probabilities on this, but it's like there's there's a certain element of chaos that you're just creating by not actually fundamentally like rethinking what the purpose of government is right now well, that's kind of what i meant by um by my comments about the uh cares act actually for example because like by not acting because if you had actually if you had looked at even the information that was available there at the time then if you had taken much more much more dramatic measures by by not acting in that moment especially like you set up the conditions where you do get to like something like 25 percent unemployment for example and then we see you know the obvious consequence there is like a lot of those jobs are just gone. And then in the meantime, like people can't pay their rent. Like one thing we've been talking about is like in New York here, for example, like obviously a, a cancellation, like a total like cancellation of, of rent is extremely necessary in this time. But we assume that like this would be something that would even like get vetoed by Cuomo or something because he's his main like contributors are real estate industry. Right. But then ironically, like, based on what happened here in 2008 when the real estate industry like crashed because no one could pay their rent right Mm -hmm. because people like had to move they like moved out of their apartments there were a ton of there were just like massive uh like amounts of unoccupied real estate and so like the entire market actually crashed so actually ironically the best thing to do for even the fucking real estate industry and for people's health would be to like cancel rent and then if you're not going to do that if like you didn't learn that lesson the first time and you also are not going to apply that to a pandemic, then you're literally going to end up in a situation where come like July, August or even now, obviously, but like people are going to be uh, lo- losing their apartments, getting evicted or whatever. And some of them are going to move to other cities and potentially become disease vectors. This and it's just going to make things worse. This is what I'm saying is that they're convinced. I think that they're this is. Fine, this is tinfoil hatty. This might sound paranoid, but after a decade of fighting for like bare minimum health coverage, it seems like the most likely situation is that I have a feeling there are a lot of conversations happening among people who are sitting happily atop a pile of savings in a home that they own, you know, with economic security and a high level job that they know that they will go back to, right? Um, and people like Nancy Pelosi and who work for her and all these fuckers, they're sitting around being like, you know what? It doesn't matter if everyone dies as long as we just like accumulate as much as we can before they die. Because even if we're just all alone, like we'll still have the power. They don't care. This is if anyone survives COVID, it will be considered a genocide in the United States of poor people. You know, like mm-hmm, this is. Right. 
the suffering, the death that has already happened, over 80,000 people have died. Mm -hmm. You're seeing some really bizarre shit in survivors. Mm -hmm. You're seeing people start to develop like secondary comorbidities and chronic illnesses. You're seeing people who were discharged from the emergency room a month and a half ago being brought back DOA, full of blood clots. Well, should we talk about some of the like specific, like specifically ghoulish shit that they go through in in the Heroes Act? Sure. All right. So one particularly like gnarly thing or in this bill is like to landlords, um, essentially where the bill would like pretty much create from what I understand, like uh, they call it a facility um, like set up by the Fed to allow residential landlords to pretty much borrow money or just like access capital at basically uh, for free that would quote unquote like offset financial losses caused by the reduction of rent payments. Right. Well, and of course they're allowing um, our, our management company, which is the mm-hmm. largest management company of pro- like residential and commercial properties in the United States to administer those funds. And they're also allowed to use their research after I think it's a 30 day cool off period that they learn in administering these funds to make investment based decisions, which means that the largest real estate company in the United States can, I think, just wait 30 days and then buy up all the buildings that they know are about to foreclose because they've been doling out the money. Just like last Mm -hmm. time. Yeah, <laughs> this is what yeah. I'm saying. This is a this is a asset grab. This is a land grab dragon sitting on a pile of gold in a cave, bringing more gold. You know what I mean? Well, everyone outside is dying mm-hmm. and they don't care. Right. And it's at the same time that they're making this. And again, I think it's worth like looking at the details of this Fed facility. There's no cap. None. There's a reporting requirement. There's no cap. Very, very different than all of the hoops that they force state and local governments to go through to prove <laughs> right, yeah. that they absolutely needed, you know, the CARES Act money, which, you know, was so like complex, like the Treasury Department issue, had to issue all this guidance. And it, it's still sort of uh, confusing as to what state and local governments have to do to get it. Yeah, They're like only giving those to uh, cities that have like really good bond ratings or something, right? Yeah, so that was like the all- facility. It had a term sheet that was basically <laughs> like you have to have a what well, I think double A rating or above or something something along those lines. But it so, basically yeah, limited the number of cities significantly and cut out a lot of major cities in that. So this is like you know what landlords were you a shitty at managing your money before? Uh, okay, fine. Uh, you know what? Just just go for it. You're not gonna be shit. You're not gonna. You're not going to be shitty about managing this money, though, are you? Cities, <laughs> You're going to be fine though. about that, right? You're going to do that. You can't, you can't, you can't can trust the off. government. You can trust your landlord, though. Well, no, no. This is the thing. Is like, what? <laughs> right. Your landlord cares and knows what they're doing for sure. Uh, this doesn't merely, I, I guess you could say, it simply reaffirms, but I guess it also strengthens the idea that, in fact, who is the government? Who really governs? Who controls? <laughs> Employers, landlords, insurance companies, uh, and uh, debt collection agencies banks well also Um, also let's just think about the fact that like a city can't like liquidate all of its assets and then move to another state like a landlord (laughs) presumably does have that ability (laughs) just saying yeah yeah i mean can't wait for uh new york city to to take up residence in delaware 
It'll yeah, be great. We're we're packing Just take this it down shit up. to ninety five. Yeah. <laughs> and we already exist as like a Delaware corporation oh, yeah, for, for real sure. estate people as a state government anyways. Basically. I mean, one of the things, one of Cuomo's grand proposals from his briefing yesterday was, okay, so we understand that it could be a problem that if we give money to businesses to um, help them through coronavirus that they might not hire back their employees at the end, right? If we allow right. them to use mm-hmm. uh, some of the funds for like rent or admin or whatever. And to fix that, what we'll do is if companies don't hire back the exact same amount of people that they had before coronavirus, they will have to pay the money back, which is the most labor-intensive, stupidest way to possibly... Do, mm-hmm. like, Yeah, that's the thing like so much of the damage is like done so even saying that at this point maybe if you said that at the fucking beginning i don't know like that could possibly be enforced but at this point it's like right. um i don't know like there there was a thing that was in our uh, national coronavirus uh, uh recovery panel um report that was about like you know looking at for for instance like retroactive uh debt jubilee like like uh mm-hmm. basically repaying people's like past debts that they've they've paid that were basically like uh, like extremely un, unfair um in the last five years and there's nothing like these types of like retroactive <laughs> this type of like mm-hmm. retroactive uh programming is like not typically <laughs> but i guess what i'm saying is like I, I can't imagine that they'll actually try to enforce any like any thing like that in a very meaningful way of like oh let's actually like try to retroactively like give these people like their jobs back which would be you know right a much a much easier and actually if you want to talk about quote-unquote fucking fiscal responsibility or whatever then sure like you would actually have to you know make less quote-unquote make less money out of the fed to like to shore those things up if you had just like continued people's jobs for example Mm -hmm. um but you know, I guess we're just not going to do that. I think we'll, no. but, and then why would we do that? The thing, I mean, to Phil's point though, about like what, what does the government constitute actually at this point, but like a network of these sort of uh, like private business interests, essentially. I mean, I think that is one of the things like an infuriating thing that we haven't even talked about, although B mentioned it really uh, briefly, briefly at the beginning is the fact that like pay, the paycheck protection act can now apply to 501c4s, like literally dark money groups. Um, which is basically like the lobbyist bailout that people are talking about, which I feel mm-hmm. like acknowledges the fact that, you know, I don't, I don't know. Like these are, these are the people who are in the halls of Congress all the time anyway, who like clearly as we've seen, and we actually talked about uh, previously, like have the ear of Congress a lot more so than their constituents have uh, since like lobbying firms have been hiring up and have been, you know, uh, really pre- like special interests are out in extreme force right now mm-hmm. and i think the fact that like there is a carve out specifically for them in this heroes legislation you know actually kind of tells you everything you need to know because it's like at that point them bailing it out is, is practically like congress bailing out their own staff i mean the fucked up thing about the the lobbyist bailout to me it also is like presumably those industry groups are lobbying for bailouts of the specific industries that they represent and the democratic proposal like the, the the democrats drafting the legislation were either so stupid or so completely influenced by these people that instead of bailing out like the industries that they represented they bailed out like the industry of lobbying itself well, they bailed out the industries and the lobbyists <laughs> right think, uh, is the thing um, right. but again you know cities states 
individuals they they can all yeah they can yeah. all take a fucking hike whatever right. they can all go and like they can get take a twelve hundred dollar hike they can yeah. all go get get a job as an essential worker and like you know roll the fucking dice but it's like so yeah. you know you would think so when you're thinking of like bargaining in a legislative context like you're giving all this stuff away to all of these industries you're giving the people that represent them in congress like a huge boost you would think that like an exchange like if, if we're being purely you know, just ruthless, ruthless pragmatists here. But like in exchange for that, you you might be able to extract something from them unless you really want what they want. And so if you don't try to at least extract something from them, it shows that you just want what they want. And so like not only is there like a specific like line item bailout for, for lobbyists here, but if you don't think that the Cobra extension is in a way just propping up the political power of of insurers. I mean, it works like a sort of, um, uh, sort of stabilization of that political arm as well. I mean, being flush allows insurers to come back later and fight whatever, uh, you know, even modest reform the Democrats like try to come along and, and pass, uh, is. So it's just, um, that's why it's like, I, the, the easy way of the, the sort of like the shorthand for referring to this legislation is like the Democrats, um, proposal, but then you have to ask yourself, what does that mean? Um, and like, what does that Mm -hmm. represent? And it's, I don't know. I I think it's pretty obvious how this was written. (laughs) Um, I think it's pretty obvious, like what instructions staffers were, uh, under, uh, they had some, some very like ready-made language from a few key industries, uh, even the organization of the bill sort of suggests that. And they sort of um, went through those. Um, so, you know, I, I keep wondering, I need to make a map of the staffers, um, and I need to know, their yeah. names. uh, I need to know who's <laughs> actually drafting this. Uh, that seems important to me for no reason, um, for no particular reason. <laughs> I mean, no, no, for no particular reason other than, no, other I'm than, <laughs> um, it would be nice to know who I should, you know, email legislative ideas to that are also ready-made that can be slipped in. Yeah, um, we could start yeah. an industry group. Maybe we shouldn't have started a think tank. Maybe we should start like the, um, you know, oh, we could still uh, do that. What, what, what could we call it? The Benevolent well, good, Society of Arms Manufacturers. Well, <laughs> all yeah, we good, have a missile um, company, don't good, we? Yeah. All good think tanks have a lobbying arm. I just assume that we were building that out. Yeah, uh, let's just call ours something, you know, uh, effective, let's say. Let's just call yeah, ours something we just need that, to go that will like, really get noticed. There's that really good bo- uh, Rolodex book of um, all of the... Um, organizations that did business with Los Alamos national lab. And they're, they're really great. Uh, scientific devices or tech NMC intertechnique, uh, laminex industries. Ooh. We could, we could Ooh. be any one of these. I liked, I think we were for, I think when we were reading about, uh, uh, nursing homes for the episode on, uh, for the patron episode this week, uh, I came across a name that was like, I think it was Amera health, which, that one got me. That oh, you one know is what, you know what the the true. second there's a, that's a two word company. It's AmeriHealth Caritas. Yes. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Well, so to me, this bill kind of feels like I mean, it, it's definitely targeted, right? Like I, I I I would say that like there's a lot of giveaways to sort of specific like party favored industries and groups. Um, it kind of in the same way that like the, the, what was it? Trump's tax cut bill in 2018, like felt like it was 
targeting like you know specific industries that are that are like sweethearts of the republican party to me this just like feels a lot less like any kind of like a quote like quote unquote covid related bill and really just kind of like the addendum to a tax cut that like they that the democrats really wanted to pass oh yeah i mean they don't call it uh omnibus for nothing (laughs) i mean yeah the the i think like specifically i really think that the salt cap rollback is just like just why why does that need to be in there what does that have to do with anything keep nancy's uh keepers happy i don't know i mean this no it's keep nancy's taxes low it's not even that it's not even that this is just like more privatizing the response to the virus. Yeah. They are just doling out contracts. They're doling out contracts the same way that they were trying to do before the virus. And they're still trying to shake the same hands and whatever. It's just privatizing the response. That's, that's all actually, this is. That's a really good point in the sense that like what they're earlier, I characterized it a different way, but I think you're right. I think, and I, and I was wrong. The way that I described it is they're trying to appropriate their way out of this crisis so that they can preserve existing structures. That's not quite right, though, because what this does is it further Im- it actually further empowers these, you know, uh, new sort of lords of the economy. Um, and it will further consolidate uh, industry. Uh, it mm-hmm. will further sort of entrench the power of property owners. Um it does privatize the response to the crisis in in a huge way. So it's not merely preserving a flawed, fundamentally like flawed existing system. It actually builds something. Worse. It it could allow for the building of something new. And I I think for the congressional progressive caucus, which at least at this point claims that they are, all of their members have been instructed to announce that they are undecided on the bill when whip checks come around. Um, mm. You shouldn't just yeah, be undecided on this legislation. A robust response, guys. I mean, what are the two scenarios? Jesus. What, that at some point Democrats are going to like take a few of the bills that Jayapal has written and, and put them in there? I think that that's, it seems doubtful to me. Yeah. They're, they're, no, they're, and their challenge is always, is that they'd be like, well, see, this is why private industry needs to step up to the plate. And, you know, maybe you should be looking to private help to do like mutual aid efforts, or maybe you should go fundraise on GoFundMe for your rent. You know, it's the same bullshit that they tell like patients over and over and over again when they deny us care for decades. They say, go ask the drug company, go ask a church for money, apply for charity care, go find a disease specific uh, advocacy organization, or like maybe, you, you know, oh, in last resort, like you can go on Medicaid and apply for disability, but like that probably won't work. So in the meantime, like set up a GoFundMe and make sure to like beg everyone, you know, to like cheapen some chip in some of their meager stuff because you can't look to the government for treatment, care and support. You got to look to like a network of private um, for profit institutions because that's how this works. You know, we want we want to help you, but but. You know, those guys on the they other side, s- they don't want to help you. They don't even say yeah. that, though. They, that's the thing that, like, pisses me off is, like, no one even pretends that they want to help. Yes. I've been at the Social Security Administration um, in the process of applying before my appeal came through was the worst, right? Where I, I shit you not, on four separate occasions, I was told, you seem to be in a very dire situation and I'm concerned that you will die without health care, but... There is nothing within the blue book that allows me to do anything to help you, but 
please call us back if you get the big C cancer. Because we, then we'll take you we have an exception for cancer. Right. And we have an exception for ALS. And we have an exception for dialysis. So if one of those three things happens, please, we should be your first call. Otherwise, get bent and get yeah. the fuck out of my office because I'm very busy and I have a backlog of cases and hundreds more people to see and I'm underpaid and not supported. And this is like, that is the experience of like this bill for me reading this fucking bullshit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Call me back this when is, you're dying of is, COVID. We'll cover your care when you're dying of COVID. Call me back when you need a plot in Potter's Field. Yeah. It's like, go get fucked. Don't think anyone knows how to follow that. Exactly. <laughs> um, it's unfortunate. I mean, okay. So like real talk, like the, the four of us know that like the social services aspect of COVID is the easy part. Right. Am I yes. right? Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. We're all agreed on that. Yes. Um, I've been talking to a lot of doctors. I've been talking to a lot of nurses, hospital tech workers, EMS people. Um, I troll like the message boards for this stuff too, because I, you know, I'm incredibly concerned for the safety of, of like my care team more Mm -hmm. so than I even am for like myself. And like, you know, COVID, the disease caused by the novel coronavirus or SARS-CoV-2 is like a very um, confusing intellectual project for like the medical field to address, right? It is a, a terrifying, incredibly complex, unprecedented, very contagious, very deadly uh, virus that causes potentially like long-term chronic debilitating conditions. Um, mm-hmm. There, I was sharing this with Artie earlier today, but like the MECFS uh, Foundation, which is sort of like the largest, like most... Uh, trusted organization advocating for like a very rare and misunderstood disease that is also caused um, by a virus like my disease also, which is like a post viral chronic autoimmune condition. Right. Um, mm-hmm. In Italy, they have people who recovered from coronavirus. 90 days later, they have Guillain Barr. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we've got kids with Sira. Kawasaki showing up. And people with like Hashimoto's, you're saying, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. They've seen people showing up with like symptoms of Hashimoto's. We've seen kids with Kawasaki. We um, are seeing, as I was saying, like people are discharged. They're fine. They come back and they're not okay. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's 30, 60, 90 days later. Um, you know, the difference between something like the immune response in COVID and something like MS as a long-term autoimmune condition, it's about, um, and I, I mean, physicians who are listeners or nurses, anyone, please feel free to correct me on how I'm explaining this. But in a lot of ways, the difference between these like chronic debilitating conditions versus like a, a temporary immune response is just the duration, right? So for, for all we know, people who recover from COVID could be as sick as I am for the rest of their lives too. Yeah. Some people could for sure. This could require lifelong treatment. We literally have no idea. Anything is possible in those terms. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, because if it is like Zika, but then, or, or like Lyme disease or Lyme disease is a uh, perfect example of this. Cause then that's something that like we can, you know, like treat, but then it causes an autoimmune disorder that goes on and it seems like debilitating. There are at least some cases um, as pointed out, especially I think by like the, that MECFS uh, mm-hmm. foundation you're pointing me to, like they, um, there, it does seem like there are a bunch of cases that do show that like, yeah, people are just like 
not the sa- like a bunch of people are not the same. I think after it was this, in, so. in um, I think it was out of China. Recovered patients in Wuhan. They had six more cases, by the way, this past uh, week. I think they had six positive yeah. new cases. They also are seeing cases of POTS, which is hmm. a very rare and very poorly understood, very dangerous condition, which is uh, primarily dealing with like positioning tachycardia and your blood pressure. And um, there are a lot of experience that. Yeah. POTS is like a lot of people who have POTS, like people tell them you're crazy. Right. Um, But POTS can fucking kill you. And it is incredibly awful. It's sort of the I've heard a lot of people describe it as like there are days where you stand up and you like faint and feel dizzy or you can't even like roll around and switch sides in bed without like completely um, just like literally just fainting. So you like move positions in bed Mm -hmm. and you faint and it's like constant. It comes out of nowhere. A lot of people with POTS have to use wheelchairs for their their whole lives as a safety precaution Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. also for like mobility reasons. But like we don't even fucking, I don't mean, I don't want to like black pill anyone or stress anyone out, which is why I like haven't really been talking about this, but like we don't fucking know what the long-term health uh, impacts of COVID are, mm-hmm. right? And we have... But no, just go ahead and open up. Right? Like, <laughs> Whatever. Like, God. This is like crazy, aggressive, killer Lyme disease, right? If Lyme disease in and of itself weren't already terrifying, aggressive, and poorly understood, this is like 10 times that. Yeah, I mean, it's and diff- the social it's diff- safety net stuff is the easy part. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's where I get really caught up in and the despair sets in. I'd be careful with the me- metaphor in. since Lyme disease is bacterial. But, you, you know, like, it, I, think that, I think that your fundamental point is... Uh, is like really important that yeah some of the literally some of the social safety net stuff the the like the basic like social justice stuff of like keeping people fed and housed and keeping them having fucking healthcare or whatever is extremely is like that that is like the easy shit Right. right. And and when I say it's like Lyme disease, I don't mean that like the disease process isn't the same. I mean that we like don't know shit the same that we don't mm-hmm. know shit about how to treat Lyme disease. Right. And our best guess is a, a guess. And it's incredibly variable in terms of how it affects people, the timeline of how it affects people. It's poorly understood. You know, uh, researching it is difficult. Like it's that's what I mean. Yeah. That's a similarity. No, that and and also that the like cultural disbelief exists because that's the whole huge part of COVID that we haven't talked about a ton on the show because it's like absolutely inane and ridiculous to mm-hmm. uh, think that COVID is a hoax or whatever. But, um, you know, a lot of these diseases that are poorly understood are subject to the same um sort of disbelief and gaslighting that then like becomes a huge barrier to treatment. So in my mind, like my concern is like, oh, well, there's like potentially long term health effects of COVID. And we're still having the conversation about like who's an essential worker. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And whether or not people should be like having their cleaning ladies come like all of England, like freaked out at Owen Jones yesterday for being like it's if you can afford to pay your cleaning lady to stay home, you should. And it's yeah. not okay to be like having your cleaning lady come. And uh, a bunch of like lib, uh, you know, commentator moms were like, listen, I've got two teenagers and I'm exhausted. And you try telling your teenagers to help you clean. I do a lot of work and I do even more labor now because I'm managing the household. So I need this poor woman to come and clean my house. Okay. <laughs> you expect me to pay someone to do nothing? 
Yeah. <laughs> this is a violation of my principles. Like, I'm sorry, bitch. 80,000 people okay. in the United States have died. Like, come on. Why are we still having this conversation about what to do on the social services side? That part is easy. Maybe we need to uh, create our own uh, NCRP uh, report. We can call it or our own bill. We can call it heroes, but maybe it's G-Y-R-O-S. Heroes, yes. I guess. Yes. I don't know. Um, in honor of my Greek cat. <laughs> sure, yeah. In, in honor of Nikos. Uh, hell yeah. I was going to say, can we call Sorry, it hostages? But, God. Um, so back to um, the fantastic fix for the social safety net problem, the Heroes Act. I mean, I think that this sort of the... I don't know who drafted this particular provision, but it's just like you get a uh, hundred billion dollars for uh, struggling renters, um, unlimited access to capital yep. for their landlords, <laughs> one hundred billion dollars for struggling renters. This is, um, and again, it's like people think, oh yeah, but states have eviction moratoriums in place; they're expiring soon. 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 And, and yeah. even if they are uh, reignited or, you know, uh, uh, you know, re-upped, mm-hmm. they're going to, they're ta- they're all time limited, uh, these sorts of yeah. things. And so just like the, again, I think this is just like all of the provisions in this bill, the way that they conceptualize time is still, it's not even, they're not even like taking the moment of exception or state of exception, like frame. They're like, eh, not another virus. Okay, we'll we'll be done with this soon. This is you know, there will right. be no need to like do anything yeah. uh, more than what than what uh, is already doing. It's just exactly. there's no sociological imagination in this bill. Well, and there's also no. this that immunologist who was fired from the Trump administration who's going to be testifying before I think it's like House Energy Subcommittee I think tomorrow mm-hmm. or later today, um, who. You know, he was fired for being a whistleblower, I think, in like January or February for saying like the COVID's going to be a problem and we need to do something about it. And he was just fired. Um, and they're calling him a disgruntled employee for literally just saying we need to craft legislation based on a scientific understanding of the disease and not our like economic understanding of the disease. <laughs> What a what a radical disgruntled employee he sounds he is like. He's an immunologist. He deals in like infection and allergy and respiratory stuff. He is a doctor and a public health official and he just basically said it might be good if we base some of our timeline estimates and understandings of the disease and the legislation that we're passing on an actual scientific yeah. understanding mean, of the disease. And that is unacceptable speech right now. I mean, this is the exact shit that you would expect out of the Trump administration, though. Right, guess, but right? also, so like, the, it's no different from everything we see on the other side. Right, but this, but I guess this is what I'm, I'm saying, is that to, I mean, since, like, we're talking about the Heroes Act, you know, what this shows is just like, we've, just like how we've been talking about how, uh, you, you know, um, the like everyone's like vaunted hero or whatever Andrew Cuomo is like you know taking uh taking policy orders from McKinsey just the same way that like Trump is like the heroes this heroes document is like basically the formalization of like the what the Trump camp what the Trump administration is uh doing is like this PR push of the transition to greatness or whatever the only transition that they'll allow in the country um but but I, I don't know it's like the, I guess that's the thing is like the the daylight there is no daylight really no. between us. And, and, you know, it's, it's frankly horrifying even to see, to see that like, if you 
point that out for the most part like you're the bad guy even though like nancy pelosi is up there like doing what she can to keep herself good in ice cream or whatever and like (laughs) and in the meantime basically they're just they all they have to do to sell this really it it appears as from what i've seen from like the first you know uh it's at, at this point when we're recording i guess slightly less than or maybe about 24 hours from uh from this being posted right mm-hmm. is like all all they for the for the most part have to do is just go up there and say like okay there will be another $1200 check and some other stuff well and and uh and like on top of that like it is a three trillion dollar spending program just like the last time when the cares act passed and we were like okay the the newspaper tomorrow is gonna say like biggest like biggest fiscal stimulus in american history as though Mm -hmm. it is though it is and as though that like the as though that metric is what matters or whatever like Mm -hmm you know, people are like applauding the $3 trillion figure and it's just like, okay, well don't read the other 1,799 pages. But Mm -hmm. political reporters are terrible at dealing with issues of scale. They're like, Oh, this is the, they always choose history as their comparator. Utter logical problem. Uh, Mm -hmm. you, you, that by that metric, everything gets bigger all the time. As long as you don't, you know, take the logarithm of it. Everything gets bigger. Um, Three trillion dollars, like that's just mechanically bigger than whatever was ha- than whatever happened before. Um, you idiots! Uh, but the, Thank you. But like the other, so like that—that's the one fallacy that you're going to see is like this is bigger than ever before. Thus, good. No, bigger than before. Um, like you need to think about the scale of the crisis, and this doesn't cut it. But the other, the other issue that you're going to you're going to see two other, I think presentations of this the other one that which i'm already reading in politico is <clears throat> quote this is the headline pelosi unveils three trillion dollar uh coronavirus relief plan amid squeeze from left and right yes oh, i was boy. actually gonna say squeeze. i thought it was that one um nancy found a third way <laughs> <laughs> sorry we have been looking for the elusive third way and we have finally <laughs> found it <laughs> well Yikes. you know uh, well, yeah, I that, look forward to everyone's trial if we survive this because <laughs> word. Uh, let me just say, uh, then, you know, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm just gonna put this out here. This is contextually entirely separate from everything else in the episode. This is not there. Do not draw any inferences from this. I want to be explicitly clear. However, is it also I was possibly thinking, satire. Uh, it's also absolutely definitely satire, although these are uh, these are true facts stated right here. Um, <laughs> I uh, I just I just thought it might be a nice palate cleanser to uh, read some extremely cute uh, old colloquial uh, names that have been used over the years for the guillotine. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, please. Uh, again, this has nothing to do with anything that we just talked about at all. And it's true, not even, but it's I'm also not, satirical. Is, Artie just loves language, you know. I'm and uh, my I'm not being ironic. I'm just saying this has nothing to do. Context. This is not a material threat on anyone's life. This has nothing to do with anything. But um, really interested. In so go we, on. We we have. Uh, I just think these names are adorable. Is all. So we have La Monte a regret. So the regretful climb, <laughs> is what that means. Mm-hmm. Uh, Le réservoir national. The National Razor. Gillette, the best a man can get. <laughs> Love of the, the Widow. Um, <laughs> and my personal favorite, Le Moulin à Silence. The Silence <laughs> Mill. I like that one. <laughs> 
I just yeah. sent you guys like a, a screenshot of the only ad that I am getting on Politico right now across multiple articles being open, which is a uh, sponsored uh, thing about how New York seniors on Medicare are in for a treat this May. Seniors on <laughs> Medicare are getting a big payday. A, tr- a treat oh. doesn't dis- the please. N- it should never be dis- anything in American public policy should never be described as a treat. There are no treats. <laughs> no, there's no treats or paydays. I mean, Mm-mm. it's like what the fuck, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, maybe before we wrap, we should just quickly talk about some of the health provisions in the plan. Um, yeah. because yeah. we've we've sort of talked about the Cobra subsidy, which um is obviously just the worst and least uh, fiscally responsible way of uh, covering people's health care. Um, we've sort of talked about the enrollment period for the ACA, but um, one of the things that uh, essentially uh, is in this plan is cementing two types of care. There is going to be COVID health care, and then there is everything else. And, um, you know, this is like a another sort of extension of the of the stuff that we've seen, like people being like, oh, well, the testing's fine. Oh, this is fine. Oh, that's fine. And as hospitals are starting to also reopen and rebook elective surgeries for financial reasons, Mm. um, I think it's quite interesting that, of course, again, the plan is saying, you know, or the the message from, um, you know, corporate leaders and, you know, whatever elected representatives or whatever um, Mm -hmm. is all like, nope, these two types of care are separate and we must make sure that even in the midst of this crisis, insurers and hospitals are able to extract their profit from your <laughs> care because they can't make money on COVID. So we have to give them something. Am I right? Yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, it's, yeah, it's the only way that you're going to be able to square the circle. Right? I, it's like, I bet if you asked Nancy Pelosi, she said, if we're going to do no cost tra- no no cost sharing for patients uh, getting COVID treatment, then we have to have that cost sharing come from mm-hmm. somewhere. Yeah, the, I feel like being living in the United States, it's like um, having particular diseases or conditions is like being given the opportunity of being born to rich parents and having going to a very good school. Um, <laughs> if, if if that happens to you, like you're set. You know, something like that. Um, but this is uh, just the case. It's like, oh, you you happen to get this. That now uh, qualifies you for, for no patient cost sharing. It wouldn't be possible to do that for everybody else. But you, you're in. Um, right. yeah. This is right. Yeah, this is not a. Uh, and you be, uh, you deserve that. it. You earned it. Beyond that, let's say worst case scenario and COVID-19 causes a lifelong chronic um comorbidities or 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 is a lifelong chronic illness after all um you can bet that that it's going to be very difficult to continue to access your no cost sharing care as we've seen time and time again with like all the uh, legislation protecting people from um like the mesothelioma caused by asbestos or all the legislation that protects 9-11 first responders from the horrific cancer they're getting, which mm-hmm. year and year again is like on the chopping block, must yeah. be defended. You know, like if, if let's say America survives, <laughs> lol, and, <laughs> and let's say worst case scenario, um, you know, COVID can create a, um, 
a new army of the sick in the United States <laughs> if it survives again. A socialist patient collective, if you will. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's going to be, you know, that this generous uh, handout of COVID treatment, right? They'll they'll put an asterisk at that point and say acute COVID only. only. COVID's only. Yeah, or, or, or we will cover, there's no cost sharing for 45 days. After 45 days, if your income is above $75,000 a year, then it's 50% sharing. If your income is below, then it's 70%. And then, of course, it scales up with income. Right. Like I could completely feasibly see that that's the way that like further, you know, free uh, COVID care, continued care um, exists is heavily means tested and probably privately financed. And you're probably going to have to trade some sort of personal information or, uh, you know, agree to be used as a lab rat, which I've had to do many times in order to get my care paid for. Um, It's it's a beautiful future. It's yeah, I mean, I imagine that that is that this is probably if you know, it, uh, assuming that these people stay in power, uh, then this is like that. You know, that's probably the best that we can fucking imagine uh, them being able to do. I mean, which is exactly why they can't. Sometimes when I read stuff like the like the this heroes document, I just feel like um, like centrist lawmakers are just uh, people. Like I, I imagine them like people in like the 18th century or something staring at Fermat's last theorem and being like, how does it, how can we put it together? Like we can't, we can't make it work. We'll have to add a means test here or something. No, we can't, we can't do that. Okay. We can prove instances of it. So instead of actually, this is a better metaphor than I thought, like we can prove instances of, uh, of this theorem. We Maybe can't, explain what it is for people. It's just, it's know. just this famous mathematical theorem that was like unproven for like four or five centuries or something. It was like pr- only proven in like the mid nineties or something mm-hmm. like that. But it was like, uh, this, this big like mathematic like whatever this is like re- kind of remedial shit um, now in, in terms of like a, a like like science historical context or whatever. But it was but like it's a like, long unsolvable math. Yeah, problem it was like this legendary math problem. Yeah. But it's it's funny because like there it was always a big thing when people would prove individual instances of it. And I'm thinking of those. Sim- uh, sorry, this metaphor is getting tortured the more that I uh, explain it. But it, it's <laughs> like similar to like okay, so now we solve it for the first responders. Right. We solve it for the COVID people. We solve it for maybe cancer. Um, we're going to con- we're going to protect these people, landlords, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> people who are we're going to we're going to solve it for um, for like debt collection agencies to make sure that <laughs> debt collection agencies can collect all and all that fucking debt that people are accruing now because we're going to need those people more than ever. And it's like you can't you just can't see the big picture. You know what I mean? <laughs> like no one's fucking yeah. looking at it like it's the big picture. I read today a speech from the head of the Social Security uh, Administration Board from 1940 today. I read it out to Artie. And it was one of the most fantastic and impassioned arguments for both single payer and an American NHS I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. And um, as, he, as he said, it's it's one thing to provide people secure retirement, right? And he's talking mm-hmm. to um, uh, the Eagle Society or something. It's like a fraternal order that advocated for Social Security. He said it's one thing to have Social Security um, and know that like our our aging are taken care of and are you know, but it's another thing to like actively intervene in people's health to produce better like social outcomes. And um, you know, but the problem is is that there is sort of like 
too few light and too much heat in this conversation. It never actually allows us to sit down and get to talking about like the ins and outs of like why we need this and what it can do. And what we need is sort of like, you know, basic guaranteed minimum survival support. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this was around the time when like the AMA was like hiring PR firms and organizing to advocate against, you know, uh, a, a sort of national socialized health program and stuff like that. And it's just, you know, we're still, there's still like too, too little light and too much heat. You're, uh, on all of this. You're talking about a speech uh, by Arthur J. Altmeyer called How Distant is the Goal of Social Security? Um, <laughs> it's the given fun, yeah. in August 1944 uh, at the National Convention of Grand Airy Fraternal Order of Eagles. Thank you. Um, <laughs> um, we can link to it in our in our show notes, but it's... Or on uh, the Discord. Or in the we'll Discord, do, we'll put yeah. It on the Discord, yeah. Yeah, we'll put it in the Discord. Um, but yeah. Join our Discord. Indeed. Yeah, no, I mean, I think... If we were, we, let me put it this way. If you've listened to this podcast for like the last 10 weeks, <laughs> no one here was thinking that the leadership of the Democratic Party would produce a piece of legislation that would be up to the task uh, of this moment. So we're, you know, I, I feel like this is uh, in many ways not a surprising uh, moment to be in, but it does sort of suggest that the the pressure that we thought uh, could be brought to bear at least in some way that there would be maybe one win something um, that there would be some accommodation which is of course going into the 2020 election this is what we're going to hear that, that there needs to be some um, you know reconciliation of the left to the best option on the table um, mm-hmm. but this isn't right. really about that this isn't about you know a reconciliation between two wings of a party this mm-hmm. is about a party who claims to be the party of governance and the party of like good public policy and the the adults in the room, not hitting a pretty objective set of marks uh, for what a a crisis response policy would look like, even in a pretty well-developed neoliberal political economy, even within Mm -hmm. that context, this is a kind of abomination. So, this is, uh, you know, uh, not necessarily, yeah. you know, a, a place that uh, I'm surprised that we ended up. But no, um, same. yeah, I mean, it's okay I think- to completely reject um, and insult this policy and to slap it in the face. Oh hell yeah, yeah. I mean, I sure. think I think this proves that um, the. I mean, when when uh, when some of this all started, we we started talking about how a lot of uh, people in positions of governance uh, were employing sort of magical thinking and mm-hmm. i think that uh that manic that it seems as though from this document that magical thinking has emerged cocoon like uh <laughs> it's a beautiful butterfly as a uh i don't know like a death drive practically mm-hmm. i mean i don't really know uh, what else to call it i think the you know the concessions filler phil is uh, talking about are being willfully ignored to the extent that they um to the extent that we're that we're seeing them, I mean, like for example, even and I know this is a separate uh, arm uh, or whatever because um, transitioning to talk about like the the uh, Biden campaign now, but like for example, for example, like the advisory committees that are being pro- proposed mm-hmm. by um, like the Sanders team and the, that are going to basically like meet to try to um, inf- like inject some 
like more left policy into the Biden platform. Like those are like an AED those are like for Biden for show basically, you know, and I don't think, and it's, I will just say that it's a bit disappointing to see some, some people in particular who should know better, like looking at this, like signal as something that is a bit, that is not just like, um, I don't know, like a, like a PR thing practically, oh, yeah. you know, I, I don't know. Like I, I would love if the Joe Biden team, took on like Stephanie Kelton as like a senior economic advisor or whatever. And just like, mm-hmm. listen to what, what she was saying. Like that would be the best version of Joe Biden basically is if they just mm-hmm. took some of these policy people out of the Sanders team. But I think it's like pretty clear that those, you know, they're, they're going to be, uh, they're going to be reading a list of demands to like a brick wall. Yeah. You know? Maybe they'll yeah. be so. up against a brick wall. well not stephanie well um no i'm I'm joking i'm joking uh so you know um i think we give uh heroes five pinocchios and an f yeah the death panel score yeah totally look forward to writing the heroes act (laughs) (laughs) oh man you're gonna make me want one now white sauce on it yeah Um, yeah with some like uh baklava afterwards the you Baklava I, Reconciliation Act. <laughs> you know what I really, God really miss? Like, the thing I miss the most about New York and COVID is I miss the smell of halal trucks, yeah. actually. Yeah. First Avenue. I mean, it's it's incredibly triggering for me because I know when I pass one halal truck that always smells really good, I'm, like, only two blocks home on my walk back from the hospital. Mm. So, yeah. you know, Pavlovian. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, five, Pino- five Pinocchios and an F. Yep. Ta-da. Yeah. So I think this kind of uh, this kind of wraps us yeah, wraps us, for, us the day. for the day. Um, thank you for listening. Thank you for uh, being part of our community. If you're in the Discord, if not, come join us. What are you waiting for? And lots if of you, fun events. Yes, and if you can, um, please consider supporting the show on Patreon, Patreon.com/slash/DeathPanelPod, or you can also leave us a glowing rating on our like Apple Podcast ratings. You know, we'd appreciate that. It helps people find the show. And and I heard that it, even though you have to sort of buy your way into the charts, um, we appreciate it. And it makes us feel good to see yeah. feedback. So <laughs> yeah. thank you if you've left us a review, because we do actually really appreciate it. And um, we are going to start putting the songs into the Discord, I think. Hell yeah. Do we want to say that on this? Uh, for yeah, people? sure. Yeah. There so was we- a request to, to have us um, put the, the songs that we use sometimes on the end of episodes um and so we're gonna we're gonna be uh, posting those in the discord yes so we've actually that. gotten um like several requests after our first one today cool. so um yeah so we're gonna we're gonna do our best to start doing that yep. and um we appreciate you all thank you for listening hang in there and stay alive another week yep thanks bye all right take care 